0: Song. okay so this is the hardest thing about this job okay but we are so fortunate to have lindsay and you've already seen a little sample of how talented and generous she is with her gifts uh, uh, lindsay was raised in cincinnati this is her home and she loves the city she attended miami university and while on a mission trip to fiji she received her call to full-time missionary work. She now serves God as the HIP Volunteer Specialist for American Heritage Girls, a Christ-centered character development organization for girls and young women ages 5 to 18. She recruits and trains volunteers across the nation who are equally passionate about serving God in this ministry. Lindsay is a little person with a big personality and a big heart. She loves God's Word, and her goal is to attend seminary one day to learn more about God through His Word and be further equipped for ministry work. She has a seemingly unquenchable thirst to learn about the things of God. Her undergraduate degree was in health education, and she continues to be highly focused on health issues. Her favorite hobby is ballroom dancing, a fun way to stay fit. So please welcome our very lovely Lindsay Wilson.
1: Down here. Thank you, Diane. It's funny. I think I'm probably more nervous about that than I was about this. <laughs> They're both pretty hard, but I, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. It's funny last year. I was here, and I remember Diane actually told me, I think you're going to be sharing your story next year, and I was like, no, like, (laughs) I don't have anything important enough to share here today, but um, yeah, the last year of my life has been a crazy journey, and so I feel like I am being obedient to God and coming here and talking to you all today, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. We were standing in the elevator at the hospital and I looked her in the eyes with tears streaming down my cheeks and said, I can't do it, I can't go back to work. It seems impossible at this point. There was a moment of silence and then she looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, you know what they say, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. That woman was my mom And that day was the first of a long, difficult journey that ended in a tragedy. But I never forgot those words that she shared with me on that cold November day. Have you ever been that person who thought, that won't won't happen to me. You know, I'm okay. Well, I used to be that person and I'm no longer that person. I want to tell you about an experience that God used to shape me and my whole family. But first, let me give you a little bit of background information. I grew up in a loving Christian family. And when I was young, my parents were on staff with a Christian ministry. I came to know Jesus as my friend and savior at a young age. And I spent you know, most of my life in church. And I have memories of conviction and repentance at a young age. I think like, I have a memory in junior high of like kissing a boy and f- feeling far from God and um, feeling the need to turn from that to be close to him. I was really blessed to have a loving family and Christian friendships that were strong and deep throughout my life. And but if I look back on my life and I survey the entire experience, you know, that, you know, every relationship has a piece of brokenness in it, and you know, nothing's perfect. But there was one relationship in my life that was
2: really broken, um, and that was my relationship with my father. And so I'm blessed that you spoke today, that you read scripture and you shared that. Um, because,
1: yeah, it was, it definitely needed some healing. And, you know, it's interesting, this wasn't always the case with, with me and my dad. Growing up, I was really close to him as a young girl. You know, there's pictures of me right next to him with my head against his shoulder and his arm around me. And my mom pointed out to me recently that that's what you see in most of my pictures of a young girl. I was always there right next to my dad. And um, so as I grow- as I grew and matured, there was something that changed in both of us and we just grew apart. And it got to the point where I would have even questioned, you know, whether he liked me or not. It was something that I really didn't want to know the answer to. And I ignored it. It was something that was taboo because um, I didn't really think I needed to be close to him. And I didn't think that I really needed him in my life. And that I didn't need his approval because I didn't think I would get it even if I wanted it. And so I didn't know the difference. Um and I realized the reason because the reason I didn't didn't want to need him is because it hurt too much. I realized that 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 form of rejection just it hurt too much. So I decided that emotional needs were something I didn't have for him. And you know, as a girl, it's, I still had other needs. I still you know, my car my, my tire would get flat and I needed him to help me. And so he would do that, and when he would come to help me with something like my car, it came, it came with him you know, criticizing me, it came with him um, blaming me, pointing out like, all my problems. But you know, I could handle that. I needed my car to be fixed, so I could handle it. I would withstand that kind of um, treatment, and but I, but I didn't let myself need him. So. In, a diff- in that other way I explained. So I graduated high school and I left for college as a strong, independent woman who didn't really need her father. I mean, he, he was there. Yeah, I told you that part, <laughs> let me go back. But I, didn't, I went to college at Miami University and I had an amazing time. My freshman year was pure bliss. I really enjoyed it. And then came my sophomore year and it was a completely different year. I had spent that summer at a Christian inner city ministry, serving all summer long, and it was amazing. I spent every day alongside of women and men who got to know, you know, the deep parts of who I was. They got to know my struggles and my sin, and they loved me. And so I came back to school, and I realized all the friends that were around me, they didn't know me, and they on top of that, they didn't really want to get to know the deeper parts of me. And so I felt alone. And just to add one more thing to the mix, um, something started to change in my family. And you see, growing up, my mom never spoke a, a bad word about my dad. Um, she, she wanted to be that good, submissive Christian wife who, who um, didn't complain when all the neighbors were complaining or jabbing. And so... I remember one day, she was driving me back to Miami, and she started to talk about my dad in a way that I wasn't really used to. Um, and, you know, deep down, I knew that there were issues, and I knew that I, I didn't have a, a healed, whole, um, loving relationship with my father, but we didn't really talk about it. Um, And so she started talking honestly about him and the pain that he was causing in our family. And I got back to school that night, and I was really sad. I remember um, I felt myself desiring to go back into denial where everything was fine. I could just deal with my own pain. And so what made it worse is I didn't tell anyone. I just kept it, and I just felt alone. And, you know, my dad, he wasn't always like this. Actually... You may be sitting there wondering, like, what did she say? Like, what? what's wrong? Like, what happened? And to be honest, it wasn't anything horrible. His actions were more passive than active. But he was dealing with a friendly mixture of depression and self-hatred that manifested itself in the form of selfishness and verbal and emotional abuse. And those weren't the words that my mom used on that day. Um, she stuck my dad with other labels. But looking back, that's the best way to describe what was going on in his heart and mind. And um, like I said, he wasn't always like that. I kind of view it as a disease that slowly crept in and took over. You see, my dad, he started running hard after Jesus when he was a a young man. He came to know, know Christ at a young age, and he was running hard, especially during his college years. I actually found a quote in his journal from 1983, and it says, how can life cease to exist in those who call on the Lord? It depends on the reason why they call on the Lord. What is their relationship to him? How do they stand with God? Have they accepted Jesus Christ into their life? Why do they call on the Lord for help? Is it a temporary call, a need for the moment? Or will they, will they follow through with a commitment with God by Jesus? Psalm 34 provides some answers. So as you can see, my dad loved the Lord and wanted others to to know him as well. But what really needed to happen is he needed to be confronted. He needed a wake-up call. And, you know, he was still a follower of Christ and a beloved child of God, but he wasn't loving his family the way God had called him or created him to. So so the difficult years of reconstruction began. Um, My mom did the hard work. She started to confront my dad. And they began going to, to counseling to, to work through through that. So, so I spent most of my sophomore year um, keeping this pain inside of me. But I did start to share it with God. Uh, I remember, you know, I grew up reading the Bible, but a lot of times it felt like an obligation. And I remember during this year, I needed it. Um, every day I went to it, and God just ministered to me through the words. I felt like... He understood where I was. I would read the Psalms. I would read about his people and um, just, yeah, their pain and how they didn't trust God a lot. And so I ended up reading through the entire Bible that year. And then God just broke into my life in a powerful way. I was in my dorm room and my phone rang. It was a girl who, I had, been, who had been discipling me for the past year, almost two years, And she said, do you want to go to to Fiji on a Spring Break mission trip? And I said, sure, not really knowing where Fiji was. And um, (laughs) I soon found out it was an island in the South Pacific, and I realized I definitely had made the right choice. And so I really had no idea how saying yes to the Lord to go on this trip would change my life. It was honestly one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I remember leaving that week. I was there for ten days, and I got to see people women trust Christ and then meet with me every day and I got to talk with them about the Holy Spirit and about their identity in Christ and through that, God was teaching me about the Holy Spirit and teaching me and um, about my call and I remember leaving that week and thinking this is what I want to do for the rest of my life um, and I left that trip it's like a 40-hour plane ride I was like, crying the whole way home with just like tears of joy and I got home and I was a different person I like haven't been the same since then I remember I like couldn't sleep I got back to my dorm room I was laying on my bed and my feet were up against the bunk in front of me and I just had that image in my mind of just how excited I was for what I knew God was was calling me to, and so I spent the next two years of my life at Miami, really running hard after Jesus and serving Him in ministry. I led Bible studies, I discipled girls, I was in deep accountability relationships, and um, I spent most of my summers on the mission field. I was uh, I went back to Fiji twice uh, for like six weeks at a time. I went to LA to do an inner city mission trip and I was just like walking in Christ and enjoying every minute of it but to be honest my relationship with my dad was on the back burner I was so focused on what God had in front of me that I honestly didn't see my need for my dad and I didn't really have a desire to be close to him and I honestly didn't think he would change you know it became. Something in my life where if I was being vulnerable with someone, I would tell them about my relationship with my dad and how hard it was. And I just thought that it would always be that way. Um, and I still, I think it was finally after Fiji that I, I that the first time I told someone was my or I told her. And I remember how, looking back on it, how dumb it, I felt of all the shame I was carrying. Like I was, I remember crying and talking to her and she had known me my whole life. So she knew my dad. So it was almost like I felt like I was defaming him, too. And um, it was just amazing how God worked and, and how I felt her love and her acceptance and her closeness, not her judgment. And so so that was powerful. Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't think God would God would change my dad. And so... But God's ways are so much higher than my ways and my thoughts. And so... In the midst of all that time that I was walking with God, my mom and dad were still doing the hard work. You know, they spent years in pastoral marriage counseling, um, just breaking down behavior they had, you know, that had been created over 20 years of marriage. They were working hard and over their whole lives. Um, and so, so I graduated from Miami, and God called me to work at American Heritage Girls where Michaela and I work now and it's an incredible ministry. I, I, love, I love my job there and I love that God called me there. And um, along with that I moved back home for a year and then I moved into an apartment with some, some of my close girlfriends and this was the year that God really started to strip me of my independence and um, take away that hard shell that I had towards my dad. So, I remember the day clearly. It was my 24th birthday, October 4th of 2013. And my dad had asked me to get lunch, and I was really looking forward to it. Uh, The only problem was there had been a major lack of communication, and he didn't realize I had taken the morning off work. So he ended up going to American Heritage Girls to pick me up from work, and I was still at my apartment. And once this miscommunication got realized my dad turned critical and stubborn and decided it wasn't going to work out. We weren't going to be able to have lunch anymore. And so I felt rejected and I remember I was sitting on my bed crying and I was telling myself, I was like, Lindsay, pull, it, pull yourself together. You're not going to let this ruin your day. Plus, you need to be happy when you go into work on your birthday. You're not going to cry. You always cry on your birthday. And, you know, so I was giving myself this little pep talk to, you know, think myself to a better place. And then the spirit of God moved in a way that I wasn't used to. He said, Lindsay, you've been hiding your pain for too long. Move close to your dad. Move closer to him. Bring your pain to him. Let him know that you wanted to spend time with him and that you're disappointed. Let him know that you felt loved, that he even asked you to get lunch. Because, like I said, for most of my life, it was easy not to need him or want him because it hurt too bad. So, as awkward as it felt, that's what I did. I moved closer to my dad, and I let him see my pain. So, you know what? It actually wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, He didn't embrace me with open arms or change his mind about getting lunch. But it was definitely a step in the right direction in my heart and in his because God was working on both of us slowly, so this was the start to a year of repair. Over the next few months, I grew closer to my dad. Um, it's cool. He spent two years, or two years—it's a long time. He spent two months shopping for a car with me, and it was an incredible experience. Because you know, usually I kind of, I kind of mentioned like what would happen when I had a need, and he would come along. You know, halfway there giving me meeting my need barely well in my search for my car he every day he was like texting me about a car he found or, or he would like he would be calling me and we would go out to find the car and it was like he was like right by my side leading the way and i actually felt pursued by him through that and so it was a really cool experience then in december i got him to take ballroom dance lessons with me and so, he, yeah i love ballroom dance and I know he felt super awkward, and he felt like a fool because he didn't know what he was doing. But I, I felt love even more so because I knew it was uncomfortable for him. Um, so we continued to grow closer, and every year my family goes on goes on a a vacation. And um, this year we were going to Gatlinburg, and what I'm describing about the slow healing that was happening in my relationship with him. The same thing was happening with everyone in my family, with my 15-year-old brother, who was 13 at the time, with my mom and my other siblings, and so it was just a really a really great week of just um, being together and, and seeing the fruit of the healing that's been going on. And then, along that, around that same time, that's when I got my call to seminary, and I... Realized I needed to save money, and I so I decided that it was time for me to move back home. So this is about a year ago, about June of last year, I decided to move home, and that was a really that was God's leading because you know when you see someone like once a week, it's really easy for them to be nice to you, you know, and. They can love you, and it's really easy to love. But when they see you every day, you know, in your sin and in your mess, that's and they love you still, that's when you know they've really changed. And so moving home, for me, it was, I was able to see my dad, um, see the real the change in his heart, and to see how he was able to love me better. You know, I came home, and he would just embrace or open his arms and say, Linz, and um, it was this loving and accepting greeting that I had never received from my dad all my life you know a lot, a lot of times I would get a half hello and so it was just it was just really amazing to see that and fast forward to August of last year and there was one day that was probably the most powerful experience I've ever had with my dad and I got home from work and it was this a day that I had just done an introduction to this new bible study we were starting and so i had done this little this mini like devotional about the israelites and their faith and god's faithfulness to them and i was talking. my dad asked me about my day and i told him about that and then he asked me to to re- redo the whole thing for him and so I, so i just i stood there and i just started to tell him about it and before i knew it i looked over at him and like he was he was falling his eyes out. He was, he was crying so hard. And I had never ever seen my dad cry like that before. And so I'm standing there and I'm like, are you okay? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, what did I say? And he was just crying and crying. And finally he got the words out and he just basically started to pour a blessing over my life and just speak into my life in the ways that, um, the ways that he had seen God work and um, the way that he has seen God equip me and empower me and just talk about the impact that he sees God doing through me and he really just prophesied over my life and got to celebrate his legacy and so I just sat there in this very sweet moment with my dad and um, just got to talk with him and he was talking about you know where he is compared to where his parents are and where his kids are now and the way God's blessed him and It was just this really powerful moment. And um, to me, that was the complete sign of reconciliation with our relationship. And I ended up writing about it in my journal that day. It was August 10th. I wrote, like, thank you, God, for reconciling my relationship with my dad. And so over the next few months, there were other tear-filled moments. As my dad and I moved closer to one another, God had really torn down every wall in my heart toward my dad um, but he still had a a few more to tear down and I had no no idea what extremes he would go to get rid of them and so it was Halloween night and I was at a party with some friends from church when my mom called to tell us that my dad that my dad had a
2: brain aneurysm that ruptured and he was being life flighted to UC Hospital downtown. And that was a call that would change my life forever. And so my brother and I rushed to the hospital that night. I had no idea what a brain aneurysm was or even how serious it
1: was. But um, once I got there, I found out that my dad was... In a semi coma state, and that he would be going into brain surgery the next morning for a long time. And so that was the beginning to a month in the hospital. It honestly felt like a whirlwind, and it still does feel like that when I think about it. But I knew I was walking with God through every step of the way. Um, My dad spent two weeks in ICU at UC and to be honest those days were a blur Um,
2: my family and I spent every day there not really able to communicate with my dad Um,
1: but we knew that he could still hear us and I would go there and I would there was a book that I was reading to him and I remember one day I was reading it to him and he um his heart rate started to go up so fast that the nurse came in and told me to stop. <laughs> so I knew he was there, and there were other really precious moments when he started to open his eyes, and like my mom kissed him, and he, his hand went up. And yeah, it was just, okay, he couldn't really move, but could open his eyes and move his hands. And um, I remember the first night in the hospital. The doctor told us that he would be in ICU for two weeks because they were still fighting for survival. And I remember thinking, that's ludicrous. My dad's going to make it. Survival? No. They probably have to tell everyone that. They tell them the worst case scenario. And so during those two weeks, I met so many people who told me recovery stories of their relatives who had had ruptured brain aneurysms, and so I was really hopeful. Um. So, you know, he made it past those two weeks, but not without acquiring bronchitis and a braid shunt and several other bumps along the way. The doctors in ICU would fix one thing just to cause another health problem, and this left my dad in a com- semi-coma state with a va- ventilator. But like I said, he could open his eyes and interact a little bit. They ended up moving him to a long-term recovery care and he was in physical therapy and he was two days away from coming off of the ventilator which meant he could talk and, and then something horrible happened overnight. Um, he had taken a turn for the worse and he had stroked on his brain stem and my mom fought so hard for him to be taken back to ICU. Um, at UC, where they having they gave incredible care to him,
2: and and so a week later is when he he took his last breath and went to be with the Lord. Um, there was one day in ICU that I'll never forget.
1: The elders of our church came in to pray for healing over my dad. And I remember as they were praying, God said to me, you don't have to believe that I will heal your dad. You just need to believe that I can. And so I knew in that
2: moment that I did, that I believed with all my heart. And I know that in that moment, even though he didn't heal my dad, he did grow my faith. And it was the, the hardest thing that I've ever been through. But I've never had an experience that shaped me more than this one did.
1: The day we were praying in the hospital, it hit me. My dad did
2: not go out passive or lazy. He, he ran the race hard. And he finished really strong, caring for his, his children and for his wife and,
1: and loving us so well. And I think, um, you know, I talked, I talked a lot about how I didn't let myself really need my dad um, and I didn't let myself depend on him. And, I, and God used this experience to help me see that I did the same thing with my Heavenly Father. And um, I, didn't, I didn't let myself need him or depend on him in that same way. And, I, and um, after, after the day, after November 30th, when my dad went to do with his heavenly father i entered into a season of deep grief and i'm still in it um but but entering into that grief gave me the best gift ever and that was learning how to be a child of god and learning what it looks like to really need and depend on your heavenly father and (laughs) it's it's crazy that it, it took something like that to show me it but um I've learned so much in this last month. Um, and I, I can't really start a day without being with the Lord. Um, there's this special place I've been going to every day that God has really just been shaping me and ministering to me. And so the things that he showed me is he, um, he stripped away every illusion of control that I had. I remember growing up, uh, my mom would always tell me, when I was cutting something, like a, you know, like a piece of fruit or a vegetable on a cutting board, she would tell me to be careful and not to cut myself. And I remember thinking, like, the knife's in my hand, like it's here. I'm going to cut it. Like, I don't know. What, I don't know what's, what would happen. That would go wrong. You know, I got it. I'm, it's under control. And the other day, I was cutting an avocado, and I, you know, I sliced it open, and then. I had it, the two halves, and there's that big pit in the middle. You need to get rid of it. You know, I cut plenty of avocados, so I go. I have my hand open. I go to like get the pit, and the knife goes all the way through the pit into my finger. and I still have a scar from it, and there was blood everywhere. And in that moment, I was like, "That's what she's talking about." <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just thought about that, and I was like, "It's the irony of I had to go through the pit to um, to lose con- to realize my loss of control." And that's what God showed me with this, with this experience, too. And um, as I entered fully into my grief and God, God taught me about being a child, I think one of the biggest things he taught me is what fearing the Lord looks like. Because, you know, growing up in the church, I've sat in Bible studies several different times where they ask that question ends up being one of them, you know, what, what does fearing the Lord mean? And I remember, you know, having some answer constructed or hearing someone else. But God showed me... Um, through Psalm 33 and Psalm 44, that fearing the Lord is really longing for his loving kindness and knowing that he's the only one that can provide it. And because I was in such a desperate place that that's what I needed and I knew no one else could give it to me. And it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. (laughs) He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. So God taught me to trust him because he's the only one. He could provide what I needed. And um, when I was also when I was involved in ministry at Miami there's this tool we would use to talk to people about God and one was these pictures that you would pick from to identify which one represents your relationship with God and in my grief I just kept this one image kept coming to my mind and it was a picture that I would never have chosen I remember I passed over it so many times and it was a picture of this um, bird sitting in someone's hand just like sitting right in the middle and I felt like that's what God did. He helped me stop being the bird that flies around his hand and takes things from him, and I finally sat in his hand. And um, yeah, just to go over a few other things that God taught me in trusting him, he taught me to be dependent and needy. It says in Psalms, Your ear, O Lord, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. He taught me to be amazed. I feel like in the wake of grief, I see things so differently. I see a sunset differently. I see um, a, a conversation with my brother, with my mom, with my friend differently. And I'm amazed. I just am amazed at what God, at what, the gifts that God gives us. And um, he caused me to slow down. And a, a child is someone who always wants to learn and grow and doesn't know, doesn't know. And I, I saw my limitations and I want to learn and I want to grow and the last thing he did was he, he taught me how freeing it is when you expose your pain. You know, I, I said a lot of my life I didn't let myself have needs. And I didn't really give myself permission to experience a lot of my pain. But in grief, people give you permission and you give yourself permission. And people enter into your pain with you. And I realized my soul was made to finish, to finish things. And grief helps you do that. And every single pain in my life can be experienced that way. And um, that's that's radically changed how I deal with with my pain. So just in in closing, I wanted to read this verse from Luke 10.21. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So I think about it in this room today. There's two people and there's, there's two seats you can sit in. One seat is where you're a child of the God, of God and you know who your Heavenly Father is. And the other is you're not. You haven't trusted Him. And, you're, and um, I just want to invite anyone here. If you find yourself in the second seat or you haven't trusted God, I want to invite you. You can turn to Him today and trust Him. And he'll meet you there. And if you are a child of God, I just want to encourage you to keep walking in that trust. So it's a moment-by-moment, moment, um, daily, daily decision. And I know, for me, it's, I feel, I'm still grieving, and it's still really hard every day, but I feel called to share because, um, like I said, I want to be obedient to God, but I also want to honor my dad and his life. And, um, i want to walk in the blessing that he gave me and so like my dad i'm walking with a limp and i want to finish strong like him so if you'll pray with me then come up yeah father i love you and i just thank you so much for all these women here god i for their hearts and minds and just all the prayer that went into today god i know everyone's here for a reason god and i pray that if there's people in the room who, who who don't know you that you would bring them to you God and I pray right now that they would have a chance in their heart to say yes God I want to know you come in and change me God uh, let me be your child and for those who, who do know you I pray that you would help them to pray I want to trust you more and I want to um, I want to experience you in more more areas of my life and my relationships and my thoughts um, when I wake and when I sleep. and So yeah, I just thank you for the way you work, and I give you all the glory and the praise, and I pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.